We're going to start in chapter 40 and go to the end. That section all fits together and has a common messianic theme. So we're going to be considering that section as we go through the entire year. So I just want to make that clear. If you want to be reading, I think it would be worthwhile. You will get a great deal out of just reading through it, just going over and over through that section. Wonderful passages to stimulate worship, to deepen your understanding of faith in who He is. But that's where we're going to be. But let's commit our time to the Lord first in prayer. I'll we come before you. We give you thanks for the word that you've given to us, that we might know you, and we might know today how to live. And so we come again tonight to ask that as we think together, have this great privilege to think together in your word, in your presence, that you will work by your spirit to adjust our hearts, adjust our minds, adjust our faith to be able to live for your praise and glory. And so we look to you for it. So we commit our time into your hands and ask you to guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus Christ is God. great deal of what He did when He came to this earth and how the apostles understood it demonstrated the fact that He was indeed the manifestation of God on this earth. That is a, a profound statement to make. A, a, think about it. When there is no Christianity and a religion is being promoted in which you are saying that a man was God, that's an easy thing to move from. And so the early church formulated a number of uh, hymns, small hymns that would just, they were doctrinal statements. I want to go to the book of, of Colossians tonight. We're going to start in Colossians. And this is a doctrinal statement concerning Jesus Christ. And in that statement, he speaks to us about what God is like. They attribute to Jesus Christ the attributes that we would find in the Old Testament concerning God. Because this sums it up so well, I want to go to that passage. It's in Colossians chapter 1. begins in verse 13. Right? And this is what he has to say. This is Paul speaking. He's talking about God's great grace to us for he rescued us that's god the father rescued us from the domain of darkness and translated us to the kingdom of his beloved son that's jesus christ in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins and now he describes jesus christ and this is what he has to say in these first few verses about him he is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation. And that just means he has the place, the first place in everything. It's not that he was born, but that he has the first place in everything. And we come particularly to verse 16. It's important for us. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things and this is the important part we're going to think about tonight. All things have been made through Him and for Him. All things made through Him and for Him. Well, we're going to be talking about Isaiah, and why would we want to go to Colossians? Isaiah, if you, read, if you had a chance this summer to do some reading in that, you would find out immediately that Isaiah is concerned about idolatry. 
the subject of idolatry comes up again and again in these chapters from 40 on. He's all the time concerned about the fact that there is a true and living God, but people don't think about him the true, as the true and living God. And the problem of idolatry is simply this, that there is a God who is there. Idolatry is when I serve God who isn't there. A God that I have made up in my mind. Now, I may not have purposely made up that God. I can slip into that. But Isaiah is greatly concerned because all faith rests on knowing this person. If I get the wrong person, my faith fails because I'm not trusting him as he is. The people in Isaiah's day were in deep need of moving to God and entrusting their lives to him. They were in trouble and God was ready to meet them, but they had to come to the real God, the true God. And I think about that as we go to Isaiah, because I don't want to go there and talk about the book and about God from a perspective which is is different than the way you're thinking about him. We can use the same word and have two different thoughts. And so I thought it was very important to begin by thinking through how would Isaiah or how does he view God? Now, in order to do that, I, I was thinking about this. Um, it was a long time ago because the uh, it was a Moody film, but it was on VHS tape. So I think it's VHS. I can't even remember it anymore. But anyway, those those old cassette things you stuck in there. That's how long ago this was made. But it doesn't matter because the universe hasn't changed much since then. Um, so in the in that tape, they were making the effort to describe what the universe is like. And they started on the Earth, and then they moved up into the upper atmosphere and looked at the Earth from where the, the astronauts see them. And then they moved to the moon, and then they went on to talk about the planets and the sun, and they moved past oh, they moved past the outer planets and off into the vastness of space and took the trip to the first star and then talked about the galaxy that were in the Milky Way galaxy. And then they talked about the cluster of galaxies that our Milky Way galaxy is part of, and then they went to the other clusters. And next thing you know, we're five billion years, light years, out in the universe, which I'm not even going to try to describe because nobody would comprehend it. None of us get that anyway, but it's way out there. All right? Way is short, but anyway, you go way out there. And I remember this part, and then they get way up here. It's a very impressive part, and they start the trip back, and they move back. And they finally end up with a person sitting on a seashore on this earth. Uh, you need to study astro- astronomy to, to get a comprehension of how little we are. That's important. How small it is. But as I thought about him racing down here, I thought, well, that's kind of what we have to do at the beginning. Before we can look at Isaiah and get down to the detail here, we need to step way back here and think about who is the God that is described in this Bible? Because I'm conscious in my own life how many times I have had to overcome concepts of God which are come from outside sources. That I'm reading the Bible, but I'm interpreting God in terms of these outside sources. I grew up in a home where, again, I was taught the Word of God. It was there. We went to church every Sunday. They talked about the God of creation. Five days a week I went to school, and they told me about what happened between the Big Bang and right now. So I'm being taught this, and I'm being taught this. 
And eventually, before I was converted, I had a God that kind of was part of the, you know, it was, he was changed by this because this was a reality where I was trying to fit into who, what it says about God. Now, what I want to talk about tonight is just a few things concerning God. As we do this, we're going to have a, an experience. It's kind of like going way out here and racing back to earth. If you saw that um, tape, or that, that film, you would have had all kinds of questions. What about that? What's going on here? How could this be? I mean, what's, what's happening here? And you can't answer all those questions. I'm going to talk about God in broad strokes, and I'm not answering a lot of questions. There is an element about God which is real important to Isaiah. One of his favorite names for God is the Holy One of Israel. The Holy One of Israel. Now, holy is kind of a broad word for us. It doesn't have generally. It just it says, wow. But wow what? I don't know. But it's wow. All right. So there's, he's the holy God. But when he says holy, he's talking about the difference that God, how different God is from anything. The vast difference between what God is and anything else we know. If your God isn't a bit mysterious to you, you aren't serving the real God. There are all kinds of places where we just have to back off and say, mystery, indescribable, incomprehensible. All right? And yet this is what it says. I can know the fact of it. I can't fully comprehend the reality of it. But I want to stop. I miss, this may seem like a simplistic thing to do, but I, I think it would be good for us all to think about God. Now, here's the things I want to start with. Number one, that all things were made by him. Right, and then we're going to go to, on to that other thought, that all things were made for him. The God of the Bible made everything. Now, that's, that is, that's, that's kindergarten. Right? That, that's the stuff you learn in the Bible school, vacation. Everybody learned that. But you know, it's possible to have that as a doctrine and not have that as a concept. And that's where I was, so I'm just going to talk to you about me. I had to overcome this. Because even though I said God made everything, I still believed in these, these five billion years in which nothing turned into something where I was. You see, I can say creation over here, but the actual experience, what I had in my mind that took place was here there was stuff, whatever that meant, that blew up and went bang. All right. Now, this is really simplistic, but it did it. And... That began to just kind of, the dust from that blew around. Next thing you know, plants were swirling out of it and stars were swirling out of it. And out of that, it kind of turned into a place where water somehow developed on this earth. And that just set, and after a billion or so years, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to give any science. So don't, don't follow my thought. But anyway, eventually, there was primeval mud. And out of that primeval mud, came a, an amoeba type of thing. And then the amoeba got fins. And then the fins turned into legs. And it crawled out. I had a picture in my book of that thing crawling out. You know, it was in the book. So I know it's real. All right? Here it was. But you see, I'm hearing about a God who created. And I'm hearing about this is the way it happened. And that brings to, brought me into a comprehension of a God. He was inside of this creation. The God that I served on Sunday morning, the God I worshipped, was a God who fit inside of what's going on here. I had deteriorated to the gods of the Greeks. 
Creation is out there. What we call creation, it's just stuff. It was there. It goes on forever and ever and ever. I don't know if any of you have been through the, the public school teaching there, but we all sat there. We all asked the same question. Everything started with the Big Bang. And everybody asked the simple question. What happened before the Big Bang? Who put it there to bang? All right. Why did it assemble? If it was all there and had to explode, how in the world did it get there? Now, the thought that went behind that is creation, or what we would call creation. This place that we lived and move and is eternal. And inside of that, the God that I serve worked inside. That was when I was a little kid. But that's not the way it is. And I want to just, if you've got anything that's along those lines, I'm not here to try to sort out those billions of years. All I'm here to say is this, that the Bible teaches a God who created everything and is not part of it. All right? He created everything and is external to it. But there was a time when nothing existed except for God. There will be a time, or there could be a time, no, there won't be a time, but there could be a time when that creation is done away with, but nothing can do away with God. He is. And He's different from everything else. That's part of what holy means, that He is different. So that any time we attempt to picture in our mind who God is, we always fall short. We always have to say, I'm falling short of the mark because He's not like anything on this earth. Right, so that's that's the first thing. He created everything, and he's outside of that creation. Now, I don't want to take too long on that, but you need to think about that because a lot of us serve a God who's like we expect him maybe to somehow, if we could see him, he would be peeking over Paris Mountain at us. He's big, he's really big, or he's sitting up in the sky someplace, and he can see everybody on the earth, but he's but he's still sitting there. He's still inside. There's still something beyond him. And when we think of God here, and Isaiah has this, he comprehends that God is, and there's nobody that stands beside him. All things were made by him. And that's what, in this passage in Colossians, he says he is the firstborn. All things were made by him. He's before all things, and through him all things exist. He's before him means that he is outside of this. That's the first thing we want to note. But I want to go on to the second because it, it leads us to a, a bigger part of what we have to get from Isaiah. And that's this, that God, all things were made for him. God created all things. Okay, that's simple enough. But there's a group of people that um, were influential, actually, in the beginning of the uh, history of the United States called deists. And deist, again, we won't go into their theology too far, but it, it basically was this. God made it and let it go. He made creation, gave it everything it needed to take care of itself, and pushed it off. And he's off doing something else today. Because you could you can make something and not have a purpose for it on the long term. All right. My dad, when I was growing up, built houses. He built houses for people. The purpose he built the house for was to get money to keep us in food. All right. So. The people took the house, and I remember one time we were back in Pennsylvania, and he was looking at me and I says, I know one of these houses I built, but I don't remember which one. You see, it had been important to him for a period of time to sell it, but now it was gone, and it was in somebody else's hands, and he didn't even know which one it was. I know it's on this street somewhere. I think the houses all look the same, so I don't know how you can tell them apart. But the point is this, it got away from him, right? 
But here's what, what the Word of God teaches us, that God created with a purpose. When He created things, He had a purpose in mind. That He had something He wanted to do with the things that He made. He wasn't going to leave them alone. He wasn't going to desert them. We go back to the book of Genesis in chapter 1. It tells us that He made these things. And you remember that the refrain of that chapter is, and it was good, and it was good. And it finally ends in the, the creation of man and everything. In the final day, we get the sixth day, and He says, and it was very good. That very good means two things. It, it involves two things. It involves, first of all, the idea that everything is it fits just like I wanted it to fit. This part works. It's like, it's like getting a part for your motor that is supposed to be here and you get it. Yes, it's the right one. It's not the wrong one. It, you know, it doesn't, it, this won't plug because it's not right. Everything was good. It all worked the way he wanted it to work. But there's another side to that word good that comes up there. And it's important for our concept of God. Not only was it good in that it was fulfilling his purpose, it was good in that it blessed the parts blessed each other. There was harmony. There was peace. There was It was rightness to everything He had done. It, if we could, we would have a whole different view, I think, of the Bible if we could go back to day one or day six of the creation and sit there with Adam from knowing what we know now and sit there and look and feel the rightness of the earth, the goodness of everything that's around you, the way it fits, the way it works. Because when God makes something, He makes it for a purpose. Now, He is outside of everything. And when you think about the vastness of the universe, those billions of light, that's really mind-boggling that He's out there. But He is also involved with what He made. He cares about what He made. How much does he care? Because I want you to get this. Because a lot of people, they'll they'll say, I don't think God cares about me. God cares about everything he made. Now, Jesus expresses that. You know, you'll remember this one. He said, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Right? And he says this. Don't you know that a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without the Father taking note of it? Now, what is he saying there? He's saying, this whole creation was made to fit together a certain way. And it was made for something different than what's happening in it tonight, in a sense. And the death of a sparrow, a sparrow is kind of one of those birds, if even a bird watch, you don't watch them, all right? All right? Why don't you watch them? Unless you're just trying to put things on your list. They're brown, all right? They're hard to tell apart because they're brown and brown, right? And, you know, and it just, you, got, you got to really be sharp to be able to pick up a little tiny bird like this and figure out which one it is. Now, there is a good chance that that bird is actually the, <laughs> the bird he's talking about, the sparrow there. There's a, there is a house sparrow, which is kind of a universal bird. It's almost everywhere. And it could have been that very house sparrow that you can see out here in the fields. Okay, but he says one of those. How important is one house sparrow? It's like one pigeon. How important is a pigeon? Well, because God made it. Because he had a purpose for it. It's important to him if it's not there anymore fulfilling its purpose. How about that? He's going to go on in that passage and tell you that the very hairs on your head are numbered. There's seven billion people on the face of the earth. And God cares enough about me to count them. 
not only count them, but label them. Right? And of course, this is true for you too. It's true for all of us, right? Because the God who made it had a purpose for it. He's intimately involved with it. He cares about it. And that leads us to another point that comes up here that with respect to what happened, and this is where a mystery comes up, which I won't solve. You all want to know the answer to it, but I don't, can't solve it. God had a purpose at the very beginning. Man had a place in that purpose. The story of Genesis chapter 3 is that Adam and Eve, the first parents, decided they didn't want to go along with the plan. The entire creation was disrupted, was disrupted in a sense by the step of Adam and Eve. When they stepped out of that line with God, they lost something, something changed within them that we all still have to, to fight past. And when it, when that took place in their hearts, what we call them is lost. They are lost, and I've said this many times up here, they're lost not because God couldn't find them. He found them the next morning. Adam, where are you? You're right here. He knew where he was. You're right there behind the bush trying to hide. He knows where he is. He's lost. He's not lost in the fact that you can't find him. He is lost in the sense that he was created to fulfill a part Everything was made to fulfill a part in the plan that God had, and he can't fulfill it. Like a man that, again, he's a pitcher for the baseball pitcher. Team says that, uh, again, this is all really stupid, but anyway. And the team says, listen, you got one rule here. You cannot hit your hand with a hammer. Just be sure of that. Do not, under any circumstances, beat your hand with a hammer. He's not going to be told what to do. Nobody's going to tell him what to do. He beats his hand with a hammer. And as a pitcher, he is lost. Does that make sense? The the purpose of them hiring him or putting him on the team is to throw a ball. If your hand is crushed with that hammer, you cannot do it. You will not be able to throw it in such a way that you can accomplish our purpose. You are lost to that. So lost means to be ruined, and that's what happened to the human race. But, and here's a mystery. Even though we were lost, the whole human race in that, God's plan didn't change. This is so mysterious, and that's part you'll say, well, how can that be? God's plan keeps right on going. You don't get any sense that, oh, oh what am I going to do? No, God, he has a plan that he's going to carry out. And that purpose is going tonight. That's why we want to get to the next part. God is actively bringing that plan to pass. He is actively working tonight to bring that plan to pass. This is on the back side here, right? And this is where we have to think biblically. Now, this part is not hard. History has a beginning. All right? Creation is not eternal. God made it. It starts back here. And God had a plan for it back here. All right? There was a definite day of creation. Right? Most of that is revealed to us through the book of Genesis, but it comes in other places too. History will have a decisive end. All right? 
It will have a decisive end. And I want to keep that word decisive in front of you on both ends of this. History has a decisive beginning. That's why, again, if your view of how God created things involves long years while he waited around for it to move from here to here, what you miss from a biblical perspective, there might be other things, but what you miss is this, that God had a purpose and he did it decisively. I mean, from that perspective, it'd be like, I want to make a painting. So I buy the paint and I put it out on the, I put it down there and wait. And I wait for the wind to blow and earthquakes to take place or something to happen to shake all that stuff together. Knowing it will take place and jumping up and down and trying to make it happen and eventually, again, if you follow their thinking, that eventually a painting develops. That is not the picture of God and his creation. He had something in mind, and with a decisive act of creative power, he brought it to pass. Now, I'm not going to argue about how long this takes and how this all works out. That is not important. The important point is it wasn't happening by accident. And he wasn't just pumping into creation forces which would make it happen. He brought it to pass so that the things which are here are purposefully made to fulfill his grand purpose. And just as it was decisively started, it will decisively end. If you're going to understand the God of the Bible, it will come to a decisive end. People might argue about the details of how this is going to take place, but the fact is that the Bible is crystal clear that history is going to come to a particular end that God has already established. Right? So that what is happening about us is happening to move it to that particular end. Does that make sense? That's, I mean, this is all fairly simple, but we, we want to be... Thinking in your own mind, is that the God that I serve? Is that the way I understand things to be? All right? Now, the mysterious part is, what's happening today? All right, we can see in the Bible what took place. We have, a, 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 we have an inspired record of how God was working in the past. We know what he did at creation. We know what he did at the flood. We know what he did when he called Abraham. Now, if you'd been alive in Abraham's day, you'd have missed that altogether. You'd have said God's not doing anything. But it happened. And he was, he was decisively doing this. Out of that, he built a nation. That nation ended up down in Egypt and they, they ended up in trouble down there and he came and took them out. We have a record of how he acted. We can say this was God moving. We have a picture of what's going to happen at the end. Not quite as clear, but pretty clear. He's going to bring this place to an end. There's going to be actions. One thing about the book of Revelation is you get hold of this. In that day, whatever happens in that day, however that works out, everybody will know God's working. Right? There will be no question about that. But what about today? What about tonight? What about this moment? As we're gathered together here, what's your view of God's activity tonight? Right? How do you see it? Well, the fact of the matter is that although we got all the mud, see, if you had if you had a story of Abraham, you'd have to get all the mud, if you were alive at that day, of the rest of history. 
And you know all the arguments that go on is, you know, is, is God on our side or, or, or the Russian side or the Chinese side or these guys this side or that side? Whose side is God on? And everybody thinks God's on their side, right? Why, if, anyway, but anyway, that's not, uh, not our point. Our point is this. When we look out across what's taking place today, and we have the mud of all the different things that are happening, it is easy to step back and say God isn't acting. Right? But He is acting. He's acting powerfully to accomplish His purpose tonight. That's why there's no sense in me sitting down and mourning because things aren't the same today as they were in some revival period. Because that's not when I'm alive. I'm alive right here. And God is active. Now, if I didn't believe that, this would be a really hard job to do. All right? Because I would have the responsibility of taking the truth of the Word of God, making sure you got it into your mind, and then motivating you to do something about that. And that is not the way I view my ministry. It's not the way we, we look at things. There is an active God on this earth and He is doing certain things. My job tonight is to do what He gives me to do, to say what He tells me to say from His Word, to present Jesus Christ as I understand it from the Word of God, to tell you what's going on. I don't know what He's doing in this place. I don't know. But there is a God bringing His will to pass. I don't know where He's working, but He is working. Right? Is this steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing the labor is never vain. And that's not just true for, for men who stand up here and speak. It's true for all of us. Because we have a purpose in all this. God is always working out His purpose while we are here. This is my own, I don't know because I'm not God. But I believe that while we are gathered here tonight talking about the Word of God in places you wouldn't believe and I wouldn't believe, there are people passing from death to life. There are places where words have been planted into hearts and the living God is bringing His will to pass in those individuals. I won't see it, you won't see it, it won't be on the news. No one will know much about it. It will happen in hidden places. But it's taking place over and over and over again because the God of the Bible doesn't desert His cause. Now, this is important to the book of Isaiah because this is the kind of thought that people can get that, oh, I live in one of those days where God is finished with us. God isn't working with us. God is way out there. God's never way out there. The living God is right here tonight and has you on His heart. And He has me on His heart. It's not just just you. It's, it's all of us. And He wants to say something. This is the God that we serve. He's actively working. He's not just working here. It's not exclusive to us. He has a plan. The energy for the work of the Institute is the Spirit of God, not the people who work here. If it isn't energized by the Spirit of God, as He doesn't pick it up and blow the wind that carries it along, it will fall. Because there's a great God out there and He's wonderful. Now, same thing is true for all of us. Now, I want to say this also. He's controlling history. Tonight, what's happening is being controlled. All right? This is also important to Isaiah. You are not here by accident. 
What's happening in the United States is not happening by accident. God is shaping the ages. He's twisting the... He doesn't care about the governments. He'll raise governments up. He'll take governments down. Because his plan doesn't involve exalting governments. His plan is, is somewhat different than that. He has a different program in mind, but that's the kind of God he is. and He's, he's, he's at work tonight. He has been at work since he created everything. And there's a goal out there which he will, will achieve. Now, what does that have to do with me? This is what, what does that have to do with you? Well, when we think about creation, again, I want to say, we can go back to the idea that somehow, okay, he made it at the beginning, and, and the rest of the human race, okay, made Adam and Eve, all right, and they were created, but Cain just comes along. You ever think of it that way? Abel, Cain, Abel, and their families just come along, and then families just mix up with each other, and we're all just the result of just what happens when people get around each other and, and marry, all right? And now, thousands of years later, we're all here, all right? See, what, what gets lost in that is a sense of the direct hand of God in your being, all right? It makes sense. We're not accidents. We're not just the, the result of people's marriages. We are the result of the creative power of God because all things were made by Him. And here comes the part that we want to look at. All things were made for Him. What's that mean? It means that even before I am ever redeemed, I am not my own. This part is hard to get in. Because we can get the idea that God made the earth and made us and wants us to be happy. And his plan is the happiness of the human race. And his plan is not the happiness of the human race. Not directly. If you go back to the creation, yes, in that first week, when it was all done, everybody was happy. It was a happy place. It was a wonderful place. Because the essence of the glory of God has to do with His greatness, and that greatness has to do with His goodness. It is the goodness of God which is the greatness of God. We've seen that over the last couple of years, that the great display of what makes God so different than anything else that you will ever run into is the cross of Jesus Christ, where the God of this universe took the penalty for the human race which he didn't deserve to have. Instead of destroying us, he paid the price on our behalf. That's the greatness of God. Right? But that happiness is only indirectly his purpose for the human race. Right? He made you for himself. You and I are not free on this earth to do what we want. Now, we're free. You can go do what you want. All right? In, in one sense, you said, I'm not free to do that. But, yeah, you can go do it. But there is a day out here when it ends. And this is, this is part of the program. When this day, when we get to the end day here, whatever, however you're going to view that end day, God is going to take account of the things that he made. Does that make sense? You've got to take account of them. 
Because that time that he gave them on this earth was not theirs. They were created for his glory. They were created for his purpose. They were created for what, what he wanted to do with them. All right? Just like you make things. You make them because you want them. You have a purpose for them. You don't just make things and just pile them up. I don't, not normally anyway. You make them because you want this to be this particular way. He made us in order to fulfill that role. Now, we can't do that. We're talking generally. We can't do that as a human race. Because we're lost. We, we hit our hand with a hammer. And we can't pick up the ball anymore. It doesn't mean when it says that men are lost or that when we use theological terms like there's total depravity, it doesn't mean that you're as bad as you could get. You're not as bad as you could get. I mean, everybody can sin more, all right? There's always room for deprovement. Anyway, you can always go lower. So that depravity isn't that thought. The thought is that because your hand is broken, you'll never throw a pitch that's worth anything. It never counts. That's the condition of the human race. Now, in order to give you a chance to get back in the plan, Jesus Christ went to a cross to provide salvation. He adds into this program after the fall of Adam or puts into this program a a salvage work. A salvage work. (laughs) We've got got all these people that are broken. They're ruined. They're finished. But I'm going to use them because I'm going to prove that I'm great. I'm going to prove that I'm good. Now, one thing I want you to note in this is your salvation is not the plan of God. This is where we get real confused here. My salvation is not the plan of God. It's a necessary step in the plan of God, but that's not the plan. The step or the plan of God is to one day present himself before everything in such a way that they will know how wonderful and great He is. When that day takes place, they will all acknowledge that. Every person in this room will acknowledge that one day. Every person. Because it says, every knee will bow, and every tongue will say, Jesus is Lord. And in that, it's more than just acknowledging that He's in control, although that's a lot of it, but it acknowledges the fact He is God, and He is good. In that day, there will kind of be three categories, I think, of people or or beings. I won't say people because it includes other beings. There will be demonic powers there which will bow in anger because they knew this was coming all along. And in frustration and anger, they will bow. There will be human beings who were misled as to what the nature of God was, and they will bow in despair. Because he says they'll be weeping and wailing after that and gnashing of teeth. Just, ah. Because every one of them lived and moved and had their being in God. He was right there. And while he was right there, he was also making an appeal. He is always appealing. That's why he tells the story of this history. We'll talk about that next week. He tells this story because it is the deep desire of God's heart that every person fulfill their calling. He's made the way for it to happen. And there'll be that frustrated part. Then there'll be those who have already bowed the knee before you ever get there. And they are going to burst out with joy when they get the chance to say it. 
before, but now he'll be vindicated. That is, he'll just be shown to be who they always believed him to be. It'd be a wonderful day. It's a wonderful day. Now, what does that have to do with us tonight? Everybody in this room was created by God and for God. Now, for those that we know that Christians belong to him, we're not your own, you were bought with a price. But whether you've come to him or haven't come to him, the biblical view, and that's the way Isaiah is going to develop it, is you already belong to him. The question tonight isn't whether you... You were made for a purpose. You were, you had, your life particularly has a purpose. You are alive in 2019 in Greenville, South Carolina. That's where we are, so we're in Greenville, South Carolina. You're here because God had a purpose for you to be here. And you, with what capabilities you have, limitations you have, He knows all about that, but He has a purpose for you. You are either fulfilling that purpose tonight or you are not fulfilling that purpose. Now, we get into these chapters in the book of Isaiah. This is a great frustration to Isaiah. His, he's talking to people in the Old Testament who particularly had the calling of God on them. They were separated by God to do a particular work, and here they were, and they would not come to God. They would not allow Him to be who He was in their lives, so they were not fulfilling His purpose. And he will come to them and tell them that they need to do this. They need to come to a place of submission and faith. Now, I want to finish up by saying something Isaiah is going to say. If you're not in that place tonight, I don't care why you're not in that place tonight of submitting to God. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me tonight what you have done, where you've been, what kind of things you might have turned your back on in the past, the sins you might have fallen into, that doesn't matter. The question Isaiah puts out there is there is a God in front of you who is ready to meet you and deliver you and is ready to to meet any person who will trust Him. Are you going to trust Him to reshape you and enable you to fit back into the plan? Or are you going to refuse that? And a lot of the frustration of the book of Isaiah as he preaches is this. People had that all in front of them and said, no, no, I don't think we will. You see, what you really need to do is not just try to serve God. It's you need to come to him and put yourself in his hands to fully remake you, turn you around, clean, clean you up, and give you life. The purpose is, of God is not your salvation. It's the glorifying of his own name. It's, it's bring before men the greatness of God. He'll do that by saving and delivering you. What you need to do tonight is come to him. Are you ready to do that? I would just going to ask you again. Think about it. This is the God of the Bible. This is where he's going. And each of us has a place in that tonight, which we're either fulfilling or failing to fulfill. But there's no one who needs to leave in that condition, that in the condition of not fulfilling it. Jesus Christ is ready to meet you wherever you need met to cleanse you, to empower you. He's not going to just cleanse you. He's going to empower you because he wants you to take your place. He wants you to step into the spot which God has for you. 
in 2019 in Greenville, South Carolina, in order to fulfill the purpose of God. So that out there, out there, you can, by the things he enabled you to do, glorify God. It's a wonderful picture of the church, the ones who have submitted, that the end, they're not going to say the church was made up of great people. There's going to be no none of the greatness of the people in the church. What the observers will see at the end is this, that God was able to take a mess like me and make him like Jesus Christ. And at that day, I will look just like him. Not because I am great or because I am faithful or because of all these things, but because he is great. And his, and that experience, for me, for all of you who know him, will be to the praise of the glory of his grace, his goodness, which has been manifested in Jesus Christ. Now, that's the God we have to, if we're going to go and think about Isaiah, you have to have, he's the God of history. The God who had a plan from the beginning, who is carrying it out through history and will take it to an end and is calling on people to fit into their place along the way. Okay, well, let's pray. Father, we come and ask you to enable us to see you high and lifted up. Enable Enable us to know you close and concerned. Lord, we pray for each person here that you will enable us to embrace the salvation, the deliverance, the salvage work that you've done in the Lord Jesus Christ. To be cleansed from sin and to be set free to serve the living God. We trust you for it and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.